Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. It's interesting. One of the things that has been expressed to me is that if you're, if you're going to learn the martial arts, you don't do it because you're looking for a fight. You do it because you want to be ready if a fight comes your way. Well, what's interesting, the, the, the way that God has lined this up is we're going to look today at how we deal with the spiritual fights that come our way, the challenges, the battles that we face, and how can we be ready for those times. It's interesting how God lines things up, isn't it? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 today. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, we've, we've been in a long-term series on the book of Acts. We've taken kind of a little bit of a break when we got to Acts chapter 19, because in Acts chapter 19, Paul found himself in a city called Ephesus. It becomes, I believe, one of the, the most, most dear and influential cities that Paul spends time in. He starts a church there. He spends three years there, longer than any other um, church city where he spends time. And what we've looked at for the last few weeks is a series we've called Essentials, because we've been talking about what Paul says is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And the reason he emphasizes it in Ephesus is because he wants them to know the Holy Spirit's work and power in your life is not an optional thing, it's essential. So today we're gonna kind of wrap up this series. We're gonna look at the end of the book of Ephesians where Paul is finishing up this letter to a church that he loved. If you remember, he wrote the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. He wrote 1st and 2nd Timothy to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church that was in the city of Ephesus, and he writes to them about this aspect of spiritual warfare. What is it like when you have to fight a battle that at its very core actually isn't physical, but it's spiritual? Anybody ever faced a, a spiritual challenge? Anybody? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, this is a very real thing. If you, if you want homework, go back and read Acts chapter 19. Because there's a passage there that talks all about the spiritual warfare that was happening in that city. And when it begins, you read it and you kind of get a little bit weirded out because it talks about miracles and it talks about supernatural things and it talks about the demonic and it talks about evil spirits and it talks about an evil spirit that actually beats up some people. Acts chapter 19, I'd encourage you to go back, go back and read it. And when you read it, sometimes you go, ooh, creeps me out just a little bit. I don't know that I want anything to do with spiritual warfare if that's what spiritual warfare is. Here's the truth. You don't choose to be involved in spiritual warfare. It finds you, right? We have an enemy, and our enemy comes after us. If we want to put this in a very practical sense, not, not just the, the sense where we think about the, the things that we can't see, but let's even think about the things that we can see. It is spiritual warfare when we face earthly struggles with an understanding of the spiritual sources and ramifications. Look, you're, you're gonna face things that may appear to you to be earthly struggles when there's a spiritual dynamic to those things, there's a spiritual source to those things, and there's spiritual consequences and ramifications that come from those things. And we'll kind of unpack that as we talk about this today. Now, here's, here's a good place for us to start, though, because depending on your church background, whether you're new to the church or, or maybe you've been in the church for a long time or maybe you've been a part of different faith traditions or different church teachings, when we use this term spiritual warfare, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Let, let me just start here, because I think this is healthy. Not everything is spiritual warfare. Like, I think every, sometimes people want to point their finger, and every time something bad happens, they want to say it's the devil. Does that, you know what I'm talking about? Look, sometimes life just happens. Now, when life comes our way, how we handle it has an aspect of the spiritual dynamics of what will happen. Well, look at this, but look, sometimes you get a flat tire, and people are quick to go, this is where this flat tire came from. I got a flat tire, and it came from the devil, because the devil wants me to be late. And somebody else might look at that same flat tire and say, I bet God gave you that flat tire because God didn't want you to go through an intersection where there might be an accident. The truth is, you might have run over a nail, right? Isn't that true? <laughs> and every time you got a problem with your good year doesn't mean that your bad enemy's after you. It could be. I think there are times when the supernatural happens in that way. But we have to be quick, we have to be careful not to be too quick to constantly see things as a spiritual battle that might not be there, but recognize this, how you respond with your spirit 
how it affects your spirit. Now, that's true spiritual warfare because the enemy will use the flat tires that come your way to try to bring defeat to you. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful about this. Let me give you just a couple of opening thoughts on this idea of spiritual warfare before we really dig into uh, Ephesians chapter six. Uh, let's start here. You do not have to win the fight. Now that may seem a little counterintuitive. Let me unpack this for you. Look, there, there's going to be a, a spiritual fight that's gonna come your way. You will face spiritual opposition. But know this, you don't have to win the fight because the fight has already been won. <laughs> You don't have to win the fight. The fight's already been won. Do you know who won it? <laughs> Jesus did. Do you know how he did it? Well, watch this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says to the church that he loves, the church that he knows is facing spiritual opposition, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He does not say, hey, make yourself strong in your own power, because you're not going to win that way. Jesus has already won the fight. Colossians chapter two, verse 15, speaks of what Jesus has done when it says that he, having disarmed the powers and authorities, remember those terms, because we'll come back to those, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated our evil enemy. That's worth an amen, isn't it? So you don't have to win the fight. He already did it. He already won that battle. This, this was really important for the people in Ephesus to know. Th this passage that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter six is the most complete treatment that Paul gives to us in one space about how to deal with spiritual opposition. And he does it because if there was any place that needed to understand this, it was the folks in Ephesus. You may remember, we talked about this earlier on in this series, but Ephesus was a, was a hub. It was a center for the magic arts. It was a place that was filled with astrology and witchcraft and goddess worship and mystery cults. There was ongoing hostility with powers of darkness. So the people in Ephesus, before they were followers of Jesus, would have sought power from evil spirits, whether they realized it or not. They, they would have called them helper spirits or incantations or rituals or formulas. They would have called on gods and goddesses and they were playing with fire by reaching out to these evil spirits in power that we know are very real things. And Paul is saying to them, you don't need to look for your power in those places because there is a power that comes from the one true God that is a greater power that has conquered all other powers. So when you come face to face with, with a spiritual challenge, when you have a, an issue, whether it's temptation to sin or discouragement or a conflict that comes your way, recognize that many times it's not just something that's in the natural, there's, and we'll see this, there's something supernatural that's going on there. There's something you can't see that is motivating this. And it's good to know that when you face that fight, you don't have to win the fight. Jesus already won it. Good place for an amen. Now, here's, here's what's important to know. You do not have to win the fight, but you do have to fight to win. You don't have to win the fight, but you do have to fight to win. There were many times in the Old Testament where the Jewish people came up against an enemy and God reminded them, the battle's not yours, it's mine, God says. I've already won this battle, but you've still gotta go out there and fight. And the truth is, you're gonna find yourself in battles and fights and struggles and challenges at times in your life when you're gonna come face to face with those things and Jesus has already done what it takes to bring you victory, but you're still gonna have to fight that thing out. Am I telling the truth? Right, that's, that's just, I hope so. That's just the way <laughs> it works. So Paul says, look, you're gonna face this opposition, so be strong in the Lord. He's already won the fight, but you're gonna have to fight to win. And so here's how he says it. Ephesians chapter six, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He spells it out there. We have an enemy. We'll, we'll define our enemy a little bit closer here in a few moments. But it's the devil. It's, it's Lucifer. It's Satan. Whatever name you want to give to him and to his armies that are seeking your destruction. 
and they have schemes that they want to use against us. The Bible talks about these schemes in a lot of different ways. Here's, here's one passage that helps me to kind of spot them, because you want to be able to spot them, right? If your enemy's coming against you, it's good to know what tactic they're trying to use, because then you can defend yourself, you can respond. So John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the thief, that's, that's the devil, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he says that your enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, think about that. Your enemy wants to steal what God wants to give. So the things that God wants to give to you, whether it's peace or joy or love or hope, whether it's to trust in his goodness or to hold on to his promises, the devil would like to steal that peace. He'd like to take that that trust and, and instead stick doubt in your mind. He wants to steal the things that God wants to give to you. Your enemy wants to steal. Your enemy wants to kill what God wants to create. So the things that God wants to give birth to in your life, whether it's your potential or your purpose, whether it's something in your relationships or in your career, maybe it's something in your family. When God wants to create something, the enemy wants to kill something. When you think about that, it gives some clarity to the abortion debate. That the killing of of millions of innocent lives can come from nowhere but a satanic force. Because the enemy wants to kill what God wants to create. The enemy seeks to steal and to kill, and your enemy wants to destroy what God wants to build. Your enemy wants to destroy what God wants to build. What did Jesus say he was building? Do you remember Matthew chapter 16? He says, I will build my church. So what does the enemy want to destroy? The church? So he tries to come in with, 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 with doctrinal issues, or he tries to come in with division or disunity and do things that will destroy what God wants to build. And we fool ourselves if we think he won't do that. Amen. Like when you want to try to build unity in your family, or when you want to see your relationships become stronger, or when we want to see God do something in his church, we'd be foolish to think that there won't be times that the enemy will try to come in to steal and to kill and to destroy. It helps me to know that so I can identify what he's trying to do. 1862 was the Battle of Antietam in the Civil War. Lasted for 12 hours, and many historians would say it marked the the bloodiest battle in the war. 10,000 casualties on the Confederate side and even more on the Union side. Military strategists say that the the battle really kind of ended as a draw, but what was very significant was that McClellan forced the the Confederate armies of Robert E. Lee back over the Potomac and kind of stopped the the battle, and it was very significant. It was very curious, too, because McClellan was outgeneraled by Lee. He definitely was the better strategist, the better general. What happened? How was the Union army able to basically claim that victory? It was because earlier in the battle, two Union spies had found Lee's battle plans and brought them to McClellan. And so McClellan knew what the strategy was of his enemy, and so he was able to respond. When you know what your enemy's trying to do, it sure helps you to find victory, doesn't it? Let me tell you about your enemy. (laughs) He seeks to steal and kill and destroy. He's not your friend. He's a master strategist who aims to hurt and ruin us by his various schemes. And he'll use discouragement and temptation and unforgiveness and fear, accusation, He'll challenge you to give in to your spiritual desires and be spiritually lazy to compromise your conscience and distract you from Jesus. You have an enemy who is out to get you. And if that's the case, it's good to know that Jesus has already won the fight, isn't it? (laughs) But you still have to fight to win. The fight's still gonna come. And so how do you fight to win. I want to give you four things that I see Paul points out in Ephesians chapter 6. Four steps, if you will. How to fight to win. We're going to look at these things quickly this morning, and, and this, I hope, will be helpful. For some of you, this is, this is just helpful teaching from God's Word. We're just going to look at what Paul says in Ephesians 6. For some of you, this isn't timeless. This is timely. For some of you, you're in the midst of a battle right now in your family, in your workplace, maybe even in, in, in your spiritual relationships in some way or another. Maybe it's in the season where you're at in school. Maybe it's the, it's the people you live with. Whatever it is, you're in some kind of a battle. How do you respond? Four steps, if you will, how to fight to win. Here's the first one. Number one, dress. 
Number one, dress. It's all about what you put on. It's about what you wear. Here's how Paul says it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, put it on. If you think about this, if you're going out into a dangerous environment, you're going to put something on, you're gonna dress in a way that will protect you from the danger. I mean, we see this when football players go out on the field, they suit up, they have gear that they wear to protect them. If a firefighter is gonna go into a burning building, then the firefighter is gonna put on a, a, a protective outerwear that will protect them in the midst of that fire. Anybody ever heard of a polar vortex? Anybody? Right, anybody ever experienced one? Still a little mad, right? I mean, we're used to cold, like we're, we're tough. We're from Toledo, but that was real cold. And it's the kind of cold where you go, all right, I think I might even put a coat on. And you did, right? Because you knew that if you were gonna go out there into that cold, that was, for, you know, for, as they told us, in many ways could be life-threatening, before you would go out, it was important that, I've done this before, that you would suit up, <laughs> right? And there's a couple of times that I went outside that week. You remember the week I'm talking about, right? And I said to myself, I don't need to put gloves on. I'm a man. <laughs> Guess what I did? Put gloves on quick because my hands hurt. Anybody else? You know what I'm talking about? For some of you, you were like scarf people. For some of you, you're like hat people. I think for all of us, we were cold people that week. And so before you went out, you geared up so that you would be ready to go. I'm kind of ready to go. Special favor, wonderful peace out. We'll see you later. And it's, uh, <laughs> right, you, you had to have that on to protect yourself. Because if you didn't, if you went out in that dangerous environment without being suited up, it would have negative consequences for you. Paul says to a church that he loves, and I think he says it to this church that God loves 2,000 years later, you know you live in a dangerous environment spiritually. And if you don't suit up, if you don't put on something consciously, if you're not aware of this and you put something on that's gonna protect you, then there will be dangerous ramifications for that. It's important that you gear up, that you dress up in a way that will protect you from the hazardous environment around you. Does that make sense? And so Paul uses this image of the Roman soldier because it was something that they would be familiar with. They would have seen it all around them. They were occupied by the Roman government. So these soldiers were everywhere. And so Paul would use this same image because they could picture that and understand that as he tells them about it. This is one of the most Mr. Rogers things I think I've ever done. Okay, let's jump back in. Ephesians chapter six, neighbor, you ready? Verse 13. <laughs> Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Now Paul paints a picture. Here's what the armor looks like. Here's what the gear looks like. You know why he was saying this? Because they had seen a Roman soldier. In fact, Paul's sitting in prison when he's writing this. Do you know who he can probably see from his prison cell? Who he actually may be, be tethered to in that moment in his prison cell? Who can even hear him as he's talking this out, thinking it out? A Roman soldier. So Paul looks over and says, I got an idea. The Holy Spirit gave him an idea to say, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so he uses this picture of a Roman soldier for us to understand that God has already equipped us. He's given us what we need for the battle. We just have to choose to put it on. And each one of these could be a sermon in and of themselves. Let me just highlight them for you real quick. He tells us that we put on truth like a belt, that we are to put on truth like a belt. Now, in the, in the, in the garb of the Roman soldier, the belt would have been central, right? It was so important because when they had to run into battle, they would wear these tunics, these robes. They would pull the tunic up and they would tuck it into their belt so they could have freedom to move. 
The breastplate, which would protect all their vital organs, rested on the belt. Their sword hung off the belt. If their belt wasn't right, everything else in their armor was messed up. And so he says, you, you put on truth like a belt. You make sure that what you believe is true. And you live a life of truth and integrity. Because if you don't have truth, if truth is not your foundation, then everything else gets messed up and starts to fall apart. That's why it's so important that we choose to be people of integrity, that we put on truth like a belt. And then he says, you put on righteousness like a breastplate. You put on righteousness in a way that covers over your heart, your vital organs. You protect this part and you do it by righteousness. I think sometimes righteousness gets a bad rap. Righteousness means we, we choose to do the right thing. We choose to live in a way that's right before God and it's, we put it on. We choose that. That means there's times when we say no to temptation. It means it's times when we say yes to what God would have for us to do. Because when we do that and we cover over those vital parts of us with righteousness, it keeps us from having a mess we have to clean up later. Because if, if that warfare gets to the vital parts of us, if we don't cover ourselves with something, then later there's consequences. I know the times in my life when I've chosen not righteousness, but instead I've chosen selfishness or I've chosen sinfulness, it usually leaves a mess that I have to clean up later. And sometimes it can be fatal. We did some little home renovation and some demo recently and there was a, just a, a bunch of debris and rubble and stuff. So I had to get rid of it. And so I put it in the back of our minivan. We, we drive a minivan. When I drive it, it's a mega van. But that's, that's I mean, <laughs> but we put it in the back, and I just, I was in a hurry, and, and my son and I did it, and we just kind of threw all the stuff back in there, and we, we, we took it to or get rid of it, and we, we got rid of it, and we came back, and, and uh, Rhonda looked in the back of the van, and it was a mess back there. And she says, you know there's a blanket you can use to cover all that over that's just for that so that the inside of the van doesn't get messed up. I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> Guess I did know that. Guess who's got to clean the back of the van now? <laughs> I do. If I had just covered it over, I would have avoided a lot of mess in my life. Sometimes if we'll just choose righteousness, it's not because God's trying to take your fun away. It's because he's trying to protect what's vital in you. So Paul says, you put on truth like a belt and you put on righteousness like a breastplate. And he says, you put on peace like shoes. Man, this is a whole other sermon in and of itself, but, but critical to the Roman warrior was that they had good shoes. The shoes actually protected them from the knees down, and it gave them a place to stand, and it protected the vital part of them being able to move forward, and they couldn't move forward without good shoes, and you will struggle to move forward in life without peace. And you have to choose God's peace to avoid things that might break unity, the words, the actions, Choose to say, God, I need your peace in my life and in these situations in my life. Paul says, you put on peace like shoes and you hold on to faith like a shield. He says, you hold on to faith like a shield. Again, I know we're just scratching the surface on these things. But there are times when the enemy is sending things, Paul calls them fiery darts, but where he's sending doubt my way, the only way I'm gonna make it is if I hide behind my faith. That's the strongest thing you can do sometimes is to hide behind your faith. The, the shield of the Roman soldier oftentimes was, a, was about a four foot long rectangle that was covered with leather. And what they would do is before they would go out into battle, if they thought the enemy would have flaming arrows, they would soak the leather on the front of that shield because then that soaked leather in water, when the flaming arrow hit it, it would do what to the flaming arrow? It would... <laughs> put it out and extinguish it, right? So this was, this was a, a beautiful strategy. So Paul says, look, when the enemy sends doubt your way, you hang on to your faith. 
Even more so, you know what the, the, the Roman legions would do is when they would go out into battle together, if the artillery was sending these, these flaming arrows at them, they would be able to take these large four-foot shields, they would be able to get behind them in the front, and then the soldiers in the back would take their shields and put them up over top of them, and they would completely surround themselves with these shields in an impenetrable force because they knew that they were stronger together. There are times when your faith is strengthened because other people will hold on to that faith with you. They'll stand with you. You hold on to faith like a shield and you put on your salvation like a helmet, Paul says. Because where does the enemy love to get us? Right in our thoughts, right in our thinker, right in the noggin, right in the brain. I can go on and on. <laughs> but if he can get you to think thoughts that aren't true about God, or if he can get you to think thoughts that aren't true about you, or if he can get you to think thoughts that aren't true about your destiny. Paul says when the enemy tries to mess with your thoughts, that's when you remind him of your salvation, that there is a good God who loves you, and that he sent his son to die for you, and that he values you so much that he gave his life so that you could know forgiveness and know him, and you remind the enemy of that when he starts messing with your self-worth and starts sending doubt your way. You put on the helmet of salvation, and you use God's word as a weapon for victory. Paul says there's, there's, there's all these pieces of the armor, and then he says, and here's your weapon. It's the word of God. You use God's word as a weapon for victory. You swing that thing. That's why it's so important that we read God's word, not just that we hear it from some person on a Sunday, but that we read it for ourselves and that we learn it, maybe even that we memorize portions of it. I would encourage you, if you're, if you're in a struggle, whether it's now or just, just remember this for somewhere down the line, when you're in a struggle, ask God to allow you to find a passage in scripture that you can hold on to, that you can use as your weapon to fight spiritual battles in that time. And that you memorize that passage and you go back to that passage and you learn how to stand on that passage because it is the weapon that will help you fight to victory. You hold on to God's word. Several years ago, probably about 10 years ago now, there was a season where, long story short, I was, was going through some real challenges, personally, professionally, and I felt like God gave me a passage of scripture that for about a, about a three-month period of time, Every time I found myself in the midst of walking through that spiritual battle, I went back to that passage of scripture. It became critical for me because I could get down or I could get frustrated or I could, I could, I could be challenged by that or I could say, God, I'm gonna hang on to your word in this time. Several months ago when we were completing the, the renovations down on the new kids' end, we had to add some offices because we were out of office space. And so I, I relocated my office in that time. And before they put the flooring down, I got down on the subfloor with a, with a Sharpie and I wrote down that passage of scripture right on the spot where my desk would sit so that I know that on a daily basis, I stand on that promise from God's word. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go home and pull up carpet, okay? <laughs> If I had to do that, next week would be a series on marriage repair. That's not what this is about. Don't pull up carpet. But do find creative ways that you can hold on to God's word where it's in front of you. It's not an incantation. It's not a spell. It's not some magic words that you say. They are promises from God that we stand on and build our life on. And you use God's word as a weapon for victory. And Paul says, you put on that full armor of God. You dress in that for battle. Number one, you dress. Number two, how do you fight to win? Number two, you wrestle. Number two, you wrestle. Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That, that third word there in that verse, for our struggle, the, the Greek word actually has the connotation of wrestle. In fact, some Bible translations use that passage in that way. They say, for we wrestle not. And Ephesians uh, 6.12 in the ESV says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It has this idea of hand-to-hand -hand combat. It has this idea of that you will do battle. And this is important for you to know, because I think sometimes we fail to recognize that there is an enemy and we fail to recognize that there is a battle. You have to know that you are fighting. 
You have to know that you are fighting. Don't ignore that. Recognize that you are in a fight, many times spiritually for our lives, and you have to know that you are fighting. Look, we, we live in a, in a world that's very unpredictable these days. We see it in the headlines all the time, and from time to time, people will ask questions about this. Recently, in the last few months, we've, we've been very thankful to put together a security team that on Sundays and Wednesdays is, is helping to eliminate distractions and to keep us safe here on Sundays. We're in partnership with the Mommy Police Department, who we are so very thankful for that, that friendship and that partnership with them. And I'm so thankful for the individuals that are serving on Calvary's security team to help to eliminate those distractions, create a safe worship environment, because we have to recognize this. There is a world where evil happens, right? And we want to stand firm against that. So you have to know that you are fighting. Does anybody remember the TV show from the 1960s called The Twilight Zone? Anybody? Anybody ever felt like you were in an episode? <laughs> there, there was one episode back in 1960 where this American was, was doing a, a backpacking trip in, in Central Europe, and he got caught in a raging storm, and he stumbled upon this, this large medieval castle-looking structure, and he, he went there for safety in the midst of the storm. And when he got there, there was a, like a brotherhood of these, these monks that lived there in like a monastic kind of lifestyle. The head monk was a guy named Brother Jerome, and they reluctantly let him come in and, and spend the night so he would be safe. Well, he started wandering around this castle, and he found like a, a prison cell with a man inside of it, and the door was closed, and there was this like ancient kind of wooden staff that was wedged in to keep the door closed. And he said, what are you, what are you doing in there? And the, and the guy said to the American, he said, I've been wrongfully imprisoned here by Brother Jerome, the leader of the monks. He's crazy, he's insane, and he's locked me up in here. Well, the American guy goes and finds this Brother Jerome, and he says, um, this, I saw this guy in the prison cell, and he just he seemed, seemed kind, and he seemed very, very gentle, nice, nice guy. And Brother Jerome goes, look, you need to understand who that is. He says, that is Satan, the father of lies. And we've him, imprisoned him in that cell, and that wooden staff is the staff of truth. Truth is the only thing that will stop his lies. And we have imprisoned him there. Now, let me just go back. This was the twilight zone. This is not in the Bible. So I see some of you like thumbing through. Was that in Hezekiah? Where is that? It's not in the Bible. This is the twilight zone. So the guy goes back to the prison cell, and he says to the guy in the prison cell, you're right. Brother Jerome is crazy. He thinks you're the devil. You're so kind. You're so nice. You have a gentle face. He pulls out that wooden staff, opens the door. The guy walks out of the prison cell, and as soon as he does, his gentle face takes on a hideous form, and he disappears in a puff of smoke. And this American dude realizes, I just let Satan loose. He goes back to Brother Jerome and tells him what he's done. The, the monk says to him, I'm sorry for you, my son. All your life you will remember this night and whom you have turned loose upon the world. The American traveler responds, I didn't believe you. I saw him and didn't recognize him. To which Jerome responded, that is man's weakness and Satan's strength. How many times is the enemy out to get us and we just don't recognize him? Or many times, we recognize him to be the wrong thing. Paul says in this verse, look, you have to know that you are fighting. You will wrestle. And you have to know who you are not fighting. You have to know who you're not fighting. He says, look, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're not fighting other people. Now, we'll talk about that in just a moment because I know people who do dumb things. Can I get an amen? I expected it to be louder and with more passion because you are more spiritual than I am. I've been disappointed. <laughs> people do dumb things, but you have to know you're not fighting people. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You have to know who you are not fighting, and you have to know who you are fighting. Paul says you're fighting spiritual powers, and he gives them some names. He says rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces, and heavenly places. These were terms that were used in the first century in Judaism to describe these demonic spirit, these demonic forces, we don't know what they all mean. We just know that they show us that there are dark forces that oppose God's purposes, his plans, his desires, that they frequently attack people and particularly God's people. And there are multitudes of these evil powers and they are highly organized. 
So when you face spiritual battles, you're not wrestling flesh and blood. You're wrestling these unseen forces who are the sources of this spiritual conflict. Now, this gets really interesting because oftentimes, and, and I think Paul is, is trying to help us to see this, oftentimes I think my challenges are coming from other people. Anybody else? So many times I think the battle I'm facing is against somebody else. And let's be honest, sometimes there are evil people. Like sometimes there are people who just intend to do harm. They intend to be evil. They are used by the enemy. And sometimes there are evil people. And it's okay to call it out. That's true. But sometimes there are human people, right? They're not evil. They're just human. Sure glad I'm not, but some people are. We all are. And we do things that we regret. And it's not that we choose to be used by the enemy. It's just sometimes we do things that the enemy can use. And he takes our mistakes, and he takes our personality conflicts, and he takes our disappointments and our heartbreaks, and he can use them. There was a season in my life where I had, I don't know, four or five of these people things going on. Things people said, things people did were disappointing, they were frustrating, they were hurtful. And what I found is that I started in my mind to be holding a grudge towards those people. I was thinking evil about those people. I was thinking poorly about those people. Does that make sense? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me, you don't wrestle their flesh and blood. Like the source of what's happening here, the conflict, the dissension, the division, the source of that is coming from unseen evil powers. They're the ones that are stirring this up. They may be using things that other people are doing, but you don't wrestle flesh and blood. So just to be honest, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of quickened in me. I started a, 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 a we wrestle not list. Like I had to process it. So I wrote down, we wrestle not, and I had to list names and situations and recognize that my, my, my battle is not against that person, it's against how the enemy wants to try to use that. Does that make sense? So look, I had to pray for reconciliation. In some ways, I had to pray for separation. I had to, I had to pray for, how do, I, how do I deal with these situations? But I'm not gonna hold a grudge or evil towards that person because that person is not the source of the evil. There's a difference there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's something bigger in the cosmic, in the spiritual world that's happening in that, and we have to identify that, which leads some people just to get weird, if I'm honest with you. Like some people get kind of hyper-spiritual, and they always want to point out not just that there is evil, but they want to call it, and they want to name it, and they want to give it hierarchies. I don't, I don't know where, where you've been involved in the church world, but I've heard some people that kind of get off on a, on a weird basis on some of these things. It's good for us to know about this, but can I show you what the Bible does? The biblical emphasis in spiritual warfare is always on God's strength and not the enemy's power. The biblical emphasis in spiritual warfare is always on God's strength and not the enemy's power. So make sure that you don't glorify evil that has been defeated by a glorious God. Our trust is in him. So number one, you dress. Number two, you wrestle. Number three, you stand. He tells us, Ephesians chapter six, verse 13, therefore you put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. We, we could take a lot of time on this, but here let me just encourage you with a couple of things. You stand strong. In all these passages, when Paul talks to us about standing, he says, you have been given the full armor of God so that you can stand. God will give you what you need. And I know for some of you, you seem tired, you may feel defeated, you, you feel like the struggle might get the best of you, but you stand strong because as you put on that full armor of God, God will give you what you need. You stand strong and you stand firm. You don't give up. You trust in the midst of this. After you have done everything, you stand. Like, like for me, there's these times, whether it be in a, in a season of temptation or a season of frustration, maybe it be in a time where you begin to doubt God or you question your own self-worth. So many times the, the, the enemy will want you to think wrong thoughts about God or wrong thoughts about yourself. In those moments, if you're gonna stand firm, you have to call it what it is. I have to identify and go, this, this is an attack of the enemy that's trying to throw me off, that's trying to get me to sin, that's trying to get me to not trust God. 
You have to identify it for what it is and then find a biblical response, whether it's to run away from that sin or whether it's to hold on to a promise from God's word or whether it's to reach out and love someone who's not been very lovable, whatever that might be. You, you identify it as, as coming from the enemy and then you respond to it in a biblical way. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You stand strong and you stand firm. And can I encourage us with this? Can we stand together? Because that's huge. Now, oftentimes, when I'm in the midst of a spiritual battle, I need some other brothers and sisters that are in the same battle that I'm in to bring their shields of faith and come around me and stand in front of me and to cover over me so that we're corporately protected in the midst of that battle. Does that make sense? Look, if you don't think that the enemy wants to try to destroy your home, you're kidding yourself. And if you don't think that sometime in the last four hours the enemy hasn't tried to bring division into your life or into this church or into your workplace or into your home or your school, you're kidding yourself. And that's why it's so important that we identify those moments and we say we are going to stand together. Paul says, you don't have to win the fight. Jesus did that. But you do have to fight to win. So you dress up in the full armor of God and you wrestle and you stand strong and firm and you stand together. Last one, number four. I don't know if this is encouraging or not. Number four, repeat. Because you're gonna have to do it again. You won't just fight the battle one time. Number four, you'll have to repeat. Dress, wrestle, stand, repeat. Dress, wrestle, stand, repeat. Help me out here. <laughs> Dress, wrestle, stand. You're gonna have to. It's, it's the process, it's what happens. And in scripture, over and over again, Paul uses this military language to help us to see you do not have to win the fight, but you will have to fight to win. And can I, can I encourage you with something? You, you'll have to fight for the rest of your life. But that fight's worth fighting. And you'll get, you'll get better, warrior. You'll learn how to put that armor on and you'll learn how to stand strong and you'll help others to do that and you'll be able to use God's word to fend off the enemy. The enemy won't stop coming towards you, but you'll be able to fight him. And at some point, you'll be able to say what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, at the end of Paul's life, he said, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight and I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says, yeah, I, I had to fight the fight. But I knew it all along that at the end of this battle, there would be a great reward. We've talked about this series about how the Holy Spirit helps us and it's essential and I just want you to know that this aspect of spiritual warfare is not one that you can ignore. You, you can't just dismiss the, the full armor of God. You've gotta put it on. It's essential. There was a battle in World War II called the Battle of Jutland. It was a naval battle. World War I, excuse me, Battle of Jutland and World War I. Between the Germans and the British, and it involved a lot of long-range artillery that they shot back and forth. The British ships were heavily armored, but they quickly saw a flaw in their design as the Germans were firing their weaponry. First, it was a heavy cruiser called the Lion that was damaged and sunk quickly. Next one called the Indefatigable went down when a, a missile hit it and blew up the, the magazine powder inside and it just blew to pieces. And then there was a ship called the Queen Mary that was sunk and a crew of 1,200 individuals went straight to the bottom of the ocean. And what the British realized is that even though they were heavily armored, they had this fatal flaw. See, they'd armored all the sides of their ship, but they failed to do the top, and they still had wooden decks all on the top of their ships. So all the artillery had to do was to go down and hit from the top and then go straight through and destroy their ships. See, it's really important that you have effective armor. And any place that you leave unprotected, the enemy knows just how to get to you. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to encourage you 
because there is someone who has already won the fight. All you have to do is fight to win. So can you stand with me if you would, please? We're gonna sing a song together. And in these next few moments, I wanna encourage you to take this from just biblical teaching to something personal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that speaks to us, your word that challenges us. In these next few moments, as we sing this song about your presence, as we sing about how you're here with us, as we sing, Holy Spirit, about your work in our lives, Lord, we ask that you would take these words and that you would take this song, God, that you would use it to strengthen us. For those of us who are struggling in a moment of spiritual challenge, spiritual warfare, may we put our hope and confidence in a God who is always with us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Look, I, I know it might not be everybody, but I'm convinced that for some of us in this room, or maybe you're watching this on a screen somewhere, that this wasn't just teaching from God's word for someday, it was teaching from God's word for today. And you know that you are in the midst of some kind of a battle or a struggle or a challenge. Maybe even light bulbs started coming on today and you were like, this has been a spiritual attack as much as it's been anything else. And you would say today, Lord, I recognize that I am in the midst of a spiritual battle and I'm not enough unless you come. I need your help. I need your strength. If that's you, would you just raise a hand? This, this was a word you needed to hear from God today. And then can I, can I just ask you, if you're open, would you just lift both hands to him in a posture to receive? And we're gonna sing that again. This is not for a moment was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. Holy Spirit, come, breathe life in our dry bones. The Lord is in this place. Just if you put yourself in a posture of openness, say, Holy Spirit, I need your strength. I need your help in this battle. I need you to come alongside of me. I need to stand on the promise that I'm not forsaken. Let's sing this together, not for a moment. us, but it speaks to us. Lord, I pray for the one who looks and sees their face in a battle right now. Would you help them to know that by putting on the full armor of God, you can protect them and equip them. They wouldn't be surprised in those moments when wrestling comes their way, that they would stand strong and stand firm, that you'd send people to stand together with them. Because we don't have to win this fight, Jesus. You already did it. Would you help us to fight to win? And Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, I pray that you'd send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Fight the good fight. We'll see you next Sunday.